Have a great time. Head to Kids Barn. Well, good morning. How we doing? Good. Hey, if you're a guest with us, you came on a really good week because we're starting a new three-week series called Alone. We live in a culture that um, has much access to conversations, to communication, right? We can send a text message around the world and somebody receive it in seconds. Uh, we can have hundreds if not thousands, of friends on social media, and we can keep up with those friends, and we can see what's going on in their lives, but I think also it's this weird paradox where we have deeper communication than maybe ever before, or at least availability to communication, yet our relationships might be more shallow than they have been in a really long time. So I wanted to take this series called Alone, and talk about how we, as the church, can strengthen our relationships with God, with the people close to us, and within the community. Because, y'all, I believe we are in a, uh, a loneliness pandemic. Um, statistics would tell you that, and I had no idea until I looked these up. But post-2020, uh, loneliness has skyrocketed. So in a Harvard study just done last year, 36% of all Americans experience chronic isolation, which is not just feeling lonely sometimes, but like almost all the time feeling isolated from others. And this includes 18 to 25-year-olds, 61% have chronic isolation. And the effects of isolation are debilitating. It contributes to various physical and mental health issues, including a steep decline in brain functioning, things like depression, heart disease, that sort of thing. We were made for strong, flourishing relationships. In fact, there is a uh, reality show going on right now, and you won't hear me recommend shows, okay? There's really probably only two shows in the history of the world that I would just feel really confident recommending. Uh, one is my favorite show of all time, which is Columbo, the original detective from the 1970s. Love it. I'll watch it all the time still, um, and not to mention the fact that I'm sort of becoming Columbo, like I'm starting to like forget things, you know how you just kind of forget, and, um, and got like a 21-year-old beat-up car, um, just like he did, so I'm sort of becoming Columbo, so that's number one in my heart, but number two is this show called Alone that's still going on right now, so essentially uh, there are 10 contestants on this show, they all go to the same region, but they are isolated from one another. I mean, they can't contact anybody. They don't have access to anything. They get to bring 10 items with them and two cameras, and they just film themselves. And whoever can make it in the wild the longest gets $500,000. So they just film their progress. A lot of them tap out, you know, as, as they go in the days to come and stuff like that. And whoever stays longest gets $500,000. Well, from watching several seasons of this show, one thing I've noticed is that 
Sometimes it is the physical hunger. Sometimes it is lack of adequate shelter. Sometimes it is lack of water or physical pain. But just as often as any of those things, it is the isolation that gets people. In fact, there's a guy in season six, he had a wonderful shelter. It looked just like a a cabin, a regular cabin. He had like two weeks of food stocked up. And just a few days in, he said, look, I, I can't be here anymore. I never thought that I would do this. I thought I would win the show. But he said, man, five days without my people, I got to just go home and be with my people. Y'all, we were made for relationships. Isolation is debilitating on the human's soul. There are people all the time that will just say on this show, look, I can't make it. I, I've got all the tools, but I can't make it. Why? Because we need relationships. We were never meant to be alone, physically, mentally, emotionally, or spiritually. So with that, we'll be in the book of Genesis for most of the series. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Genesis 41. Uh, we'll be looking at a story about a guy who, aside from Jesus, probably had the biggest reasons to feel isolated. He was the 11th of 12 uh, boys to Jacob, but he was Jacob's favorite son because he was born to a woman that Jacob liked most. And so he, Jacob makes this colorful robe for Joseph to wear and kind of parade around all of his brothers, which parents, this is a really bad parent move. I mean, not only are you not supposed to pick a favorite kid, but to like deliberately just showcase that this is your favorite, not a good idea, right? And, um, and so Joseph also, he's wearing this robe around his brothers and stuff, and he also has these dreams that his brothers will one day bow down to him, and he shares those dreams with his brothers, and ultimately they decide that they've had enough of him, and they set out to do away with Joseph, and they first decide that they're going to kill him, but then one of the brothers chimes in and says, hey, let's actually make some money off of our brother here. We'll, we won't kill him. We'll just sell him into slavery. And so he goes outside into a foreign land in Egypt, and he becomes a slave of the captain of the guard named Potiphar. And he really starts to win the favor of Potiphar. I mean, he's doing all the right things. Everything's going great, all that. It seems like he's kind of getting back on his feet finally from this trauma that he's experienced. Well, Potiphar's wife wants to have an affair with Joseph. And Joseph won't do it. And she tries multiple, multiple times. And finally, she gets upset with him. She gets angry with him and says... All right, I'm going to actually accuse you of the, thing, the very thing that you refuse to do. And so he goes to her husband, Potiphar, and says, Joseph is trying to have an affair with me. And so Potiphar rages at Joseph, and he says, uh, you're going straight to jail. You're going not only to any jail, but to the jail that the Pharaoh puts his prisoners in. So he gets put in jail, and some time goes by, and then the Pharaoh sends his cupbearer and his baker to jail. Now, one thing you got to know about Joseph, he was really good at interpreting dreams, and he had a prophetic gift. So the cupbearer's having these dreams, and he asks Joseph in prison, he says, what do these dreams mean? And Joseph says, well, I know exactly what it means, that one day soon, 
your position with the Pharaoh will be restored. The bakers won't, but yours will. And he says, I just ask one thing of you. When that position is restored, I ask one thing of you. Just remember me. Remember me during that time. Well, sure enough, he's right. The cupbearer's position gets restored. Um, but he doesn't remember Joseph. And two years go by, and Joseph's still sitting in prison, and the Pharaoh's struggling with these dreams. He doesn't know what they mean. They're giving him a really hard time, and the cupbearer says, oh yeah, by the way, there was this guy when you threw me in prison who interprets dreams. Let's go grab him. We'll grab Joseph and bring him and see if he can interpret that. And so, sure enough, Pharaoh brings Joseph to him, and he says, hey, can you interpret this dream? And Joseph says, well, I can't, but I know God can. And so he says, tell me your dream. And then he interprets it. Essentially what he interprets is that there will be seven years of flourishing in the community there. There will be an abundance in Egypt. But then there will be seven years of famine thereafter. And so Joseph says, what you need to do then is you need to save up a percentage during these times of abundance so that you can survive during those seven years of famine. And Pharaoh is blown away at Joseph in the wisdom. And he says this in Genesis 41, 38 through 46. He says, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command. And people shouted before him, Make way! Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift your hand in all of Egypt. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name, uh, I'm going to try my shot at this, uh, Zephanath Paniah, and gave him Asenath, daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. Now here's something for us to recognize. We have no indication here that Joseph actually likes this arrangement that he has here. All right? The truth of the matter is that Joseph, all he ever really wanted was to be home in his father's house with his family, not isolated, not being sold into slavery, wrongfully accused of sexual assault, imprisoned for years, and then you think, well, maybe now he's being rewarded, but the reward comes uh, into a foreign land. He wanted to be in Canaan with his dad. It comes in the form of a different house, wearing the wrong robe, the wrong ring on his finger, the wrong name, and listen, being number two in command of a foreign land is nothing compared to being the heir to the throne of your family in the land that you were supposed to be in. Prospering in a place where you were never intended to be 
is not the same as prospering at home with your people. See, everything is wrong here for Joseph. Everything is wrong. This is a lonely place for him to be. See, this isn't a story about, see, if you're faithful to God, he will reward you. No, this is a a story of God working good in a situation of hurt and pain and trauma and trial and tribulation where there were no genuine relationships, even though it was never intended to be this way. In fact, Joseph acknowledges this when he names his second son. He says this in Genesis 41, 52. He says, the second son he named Ephraim and said, it is because God has made me fruitful, where? In the land of my suffering. It's not a land that he wants to be in. It is suffering for him. It is a place of deep isolation and loneliness for Joseph with no genuine relationships. See, there's no substitute for being able to be with your people. There's no substitute. It doesn't matter how much you prosper if you are stuck in isolation, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. But there were three things in this story that really guided Joseph in his isolation. Number one, very simply, he knew that God was with him. Genesis 39.2 says, the Lord was with Joseph. 39.20 and 21 says, but while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. Joseph knew that God was with him. And there is an element of being able to withstand feelings of isolation when you know that you will never be fully isolated because God is with you. Do you know this morning that he will never leave you, especially in the land of your suffering? In... uh, Season two of Alone is such a powerful time. There's a pastor that goes on the show, and he, uh, he's so vocal about his faith. It's really cool to see, and it shows him you know, praying, talking to God, all this. But he's, uh, like I said, he's in his 50s. He's got two kids, and he's a single dad. And he goes out on the show, and he's not really one of the stronger survivalists, if I'm really honest with you. Like his shelter is just, he's got like this uh, tiny little, like, as wide as his body, I'm like, how do you even live there? It's Canada. It's cold. How did you even do that? Um, but he, you know, he doesn't really do as well as some of the survivalists, but he had one thing that gave him such a leg up on the competition. It was that while others were experiencing chronic isolation and loneliness, he knew that God was with him. And so every day, every morning, He just cries out to God in his isolation. He says, God, be with me. God, be with me. And he experienced God being with him in the middle of nowhere. Y'all, when we have trials, when we feel isolation, we have a major, major leg up in our ability to cope with isolation because we will always, always have God with us. And like we talked about Wednesday, he will never leave us. He will never leave us. And the second part, uh, second truth that helped Joseph is there was purpose in Joseph's isolation. There was purpose in his isolation. Going back to the story with Dave here, he he said he wanted to win this $500,000 from a pure heart. He said, my kids have this lack 
in their lives because they never had a mom around. And I feel like if I can just do this, if I can just provide in this way, then it will help cover some lack in their life. And so it helped him to move forward in the land of his suffering. Why? Because he had purpose. And coming back to Genesis here, Joseph knew that he had purpose in his isolation in Egypt. Remember Ephraim, the second son's name. God has made him fruitful in the land of his suffering. So when we recognize that there is purpose in what we are going through, we can endure it. And on the flip side, if we allow isolation to breed things like hopelessness, purposelessness, that is when isolation truly grips us. But Joseph didn't allow that to happen. Joseph knew and trusted that God had a purpose in the land of his suffering. And he didn't have to see the total picture. He had confidence that there was a reason that God was not going to waste his isolation and his suffering. In fact, I'll get into this more next week, but there's this powerful, powerful moment in Genesis 50 where the brothers do, in fact, come back in front of Joseph as second in command. It's just this great story. Um, and, and eventually, Joseph says this in Genesis 50, 20. He says, keep in mind, these are the brothers who are supposed to love him. He's almost the youngest kid. They're supposed to watch and take care of him. And yet what they do is they uh, first decide to kill him, and then they decide, you know what, let's make some money off of him and sell him into slavery. These are the same people. And in Genesis 50, 20, Joseph says this. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Man, what an attitude. (sighs) Joseph had this unbelievable lack of a victim mentality that was rooted in his purpose, that was rooted in God being with him and God having a purpose in the midst of where he was. Because he was not what had happened to him. He was who God says he is. See, when you're in the midst of isolation, do you believe, do you truly believe that there is purpose in it? It is not just for nothing. God does not waste our suffering. Sometimes we can connect the dots as to why there is suffering. But if we can't, do we truly trust that God is not going to waste our suffering, that there is purpose in our isolation and suffering? See, Joseph lived with this hope of his purpose, not dwelling in the past of what had happened and holding on to his loneliness, which leads to the third point. God helped Joseph forget his pain. Genesis 41:51 says this, Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, it is because God has made me forget all my trouble in all my father's household. Now, I want to be clear here, okay, to to process through traumas is extremely important. I've devoted my entire adult life to the field of counseling. I know that we need to process through traumas, identify them, go back, deal with those traumas. I get that. But what I am saying here today is that ultimately we hope that God will help us get to a point of complete 
liberation from it, freedom from it, to be redeemed from it in such a way that we can finally just say, I don't even remember it because God has helped me get through it. That's unbelievable recovery. Do we believe that God can, Manasseh, make us forget the traumas that we've experienced ultimately? Do we believe that this morning? It's a wonderful, wonderful truth. At a certain point, y'all, we have got to be able to give those things to God and let that stuff go. We've got to let that stuff go. We are not what the situation or the trauma says we are. We are who God says we are. And y'all, I'm not trying to come in here and tell you that if you're hurting, if you're in pain, that at this moment that you have to forget. That's not what I'm saying here this morning. In fact, that could add anxiety to you this morning. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying, though, is I desire for you to believe that one day God truly can get you to the point where you can Manasseh to forget. And you might say, well, Dallas, you don't understand what I'm going through this morning. And you're right, I have no idea. But I want you to believe that God can help you to forget. If he did it for Joseph, he could do it for you. But Dallas, I, I'm going through a divorce. You don't know what that's like. I, I'm so sorry you're going through it. And I'm going to walk through that with you. If you want to talk to me about that, man, I'd love to process through that with you. But I want you to also believe that God can help you to forget. If he helped Joseph forget being brutally beaten by the people who were supposed to care for him, he can also one day do that for you. Y'all, I don't mean to make light of isolation. It is hard. It is difficult. And it is something, especially post-2020, that we are truly, as a culture, struggling with. But what I want to say to you all tonight is this, this morning, is this. That God is with you. That there is purpose and that he can heal you to the point where you can Manasseh, where you can forget. We're going to pick up more of this story of Joseph next week, and I can't wait to do that. But as the worship team comes forward, uh, I wanted to close with this from Matthew 16, 21 through 23. It says this. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. So Jesus says here, Peter, you're missing it. There's a much bigger purpose here at plague because Jesus knows that there's purpose in his suffering. He says, I've got to go to the cross alone without you so that you will never ever have to be alone again. 
Do we realize that this morning that Jesus does go to the cross alone on our behalf. Even the Father turns away from him, has to forsake him so that God will never ever forsake us again. Y'all, we never have to be alone again because of what Jesus has done. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, completely alone, completely alone on the cross, we never have to be alone again. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the, the truth of your word. I thank you for hard truths that like there are tensions and there are times where we just, um, we just hear your word and we take a step back and we evaluate objectively how does this apply to my life. And Father, this morning, if there are people who are feeling just so isolated and alone, and I know there are people in this room that are experiencing that this morning, I pray for this supernatural peace that only you can provide to provide a contentment, a security that maybe they've never even felt before. And Father, most of all, I thank you this morning for Jesus, the fact that, that we never have to be alone. He has open the door. We have access to you, and you are always with us in the land of our suffering. And Father, there are people this morning who just desire to get to a place of so much freedom from the traumas, from the pain, that they can ultimately forget. And Father, I pray not to add anxiety to them this morning about it, but to say, yeah, I believe yeah, like for the first time, I, I truly believe that God can help me in this trauma so much that I can just ultimately forget. Father, help us to believe you more fully this morning. We love you a lot. In Jesus' name.